Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. So, uh, Jason and I are sitting in a very fancy room right now in a different place than we usually record, and we are sitting down to record for a solid 12 hours of content. We're not doing that. (laughs) Uh, But we are sitting down to do kind of a lengthier conversation, uh, and we're going to be walking through kind of the book of Philippians and just framing framing our discussion around the amazed and perplexed tool that that we use here and I, we're doing this one because i think it's, we just want to try things jason and i just like to try different things out we want to see the differences in in how this tool works when we study um, a letter versus a gospel um how it works when we talk to each other for three hours and you know is by the fourth hour is it just the worst content ever uh, we want to just see kind of what god has for us here and i find it fascinating to to just take models and use them in different contexts. So I really like that, uh, what you're talking about and what we're going to do with the book of Philippians. Uh, Also, I am taking a break. I'm calling it a new content break for for this coming month. And so Connor's being generous, and we're sitting down and recording the next four podcasts in one long setting for us. And that allows me to just have a few weeks to kind of clear my head and process for the future, both of my own ministry uh, and, well, in my own ministry, both for memorial and just uh, whatever else God will bring in mind. So it's not really a, um, it's not a, what do they call that? Sabbath, a sabbatical. Or a sabbatical or a sabbat- yeah. But I will take more Sabbath time mm-hmm. that the time I would usually spend in creating new content, I'm going to take uh, spending that time meditating, more yeah. of quiet time, those kind of dynamics. So, yeah, I, think so it, I appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, I think it's really healthy. I always, it, it's one of those things when you, if you're not aware of the cycle of your life versus creating and resting, you don't really realize how much of your time you spend creating, how much of the time you spend um, bringing about new things. And and we've talked about it plenty before in um, when you go back to, you know, when you go back to Genesis chapter one and the, and the rhythm that God instills into humanity. And as people that love to hear themselves talk, that love to share new ideas, things that gods are doing, I think it's almost, it's just as important, if not more so for people like us or, you know, people who just love to create to go, okay, I need to take a step back. I need to slow down and, and, and just rest um, without that need to produce or whatever it may be. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how God shows up in that for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So here's how this is going to work. So each podcast will be one chapter of Philippians. So this first one is Philippians chapter one, next week, Philippians chapter two, et cetera, et cetera. And we are just going to read a certain portion of scripture. And then Jason and I are going to unpack it with this model of amazed and perplexed. And maybe it'll be really awesome. Maybe it'll be really cool. Maybe it won't be. And that's the, that's the joy of, of no pressure and trusting in who God is and that Ultimately, you know, it's about the Holy Spirit showing up and not my intellect and not my uh, not my tired, sleep-deprived brain. So, so here we go with our reading. Yeah. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What amazes me about this section is this inner working of leadership. Uh, you know, you have him starting with to to God's people, overseers and deacons. In many heritages, that overseers would be thought of as, okay, that's our elders, maybe our shepherds, depending on what it's called, where you go to church, and deacons. And, and deacons is an interesting term because uh, it is, it's been treated like an office. All it means is servants. Um, and so it's it's fascinating. And when I, when I say it's been treated like an office, like it's almost like you have their middle management of the church. They're the, they're the people that get it done. I don't think that's how this this is, but but that's what amazes me is just how you have this inner working, and maybe because Paul, you know, has clearly spent time in Philippi before, mm-hmm. they know like this is a lot of his work. Or here's how you work together. But when I see the Book of Acts, it's just such a fluid, almost disorganized. Like like you have this one piece. Hey, I mean, a lot of people point to Acts six and like, look, these widows weren't being fed, but that's like that's not high organization. Hmm. I mean. I mean, shouldn't you have had good strategy and saying, let's make sure everybody gets fed? I mean, do you have ever, you know, with youth ministry, you know, did you ever have an event and say, I'm not even going to worry about food for that group of people? Like, it honestly yeah. seems like, boy, Act 6 is the demonstration of a lack of organization. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting how he how he does this and how he talks about him, himself and their partnership. So he's a partner with them, and it's everybody. He doesn't see it as I'm a partner with the elders or the missions committee. He's a partner with everybody. And it's an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a structural connection. He's not there. And, and I know it always, every situation is different, but it's that idea of, of he's connected to this church in a way that I would be connected to an old group of friends. Yeah. You know, we're, we're partners, but it's not simply, I mean, and, and they may, they gave money and this kind of thing, but it, it's that idea. Kind of What's that? The best kind of friends. They're the money. best kind of friends, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it's, the, it's an emotional connection. So on one hand, you have this leadership structural references he's making, mm-hmm. but the connection is a heart connection. Yeah, it's very fascinating that these are the things that we certainly know that Paul wrote other letters that there are, you know, there's tons of things going around at this time um, in terms of, of, of great people of God writing, talking about the gospel, talking about things, things that we know of, things that we don't know of, but we can almost certainly, certainly um, assert that, that there were these other things. And it's so fascinating that God chose to preserve this as as his word, right? Like we talk about all the time, people, when they, they look at the letters, these, they look at these as the blueprints, right? Mm-hmm. They look at these as like the, you know, it, look at these as the, as the founding, um, you know, the, the thing you put as your mission statement of the church. Right. And it's something that's always a struggle because on the one hand you can, you can say that in a, in a way, but there are also these things written to a very specific group of people in a very specific set of time. And it's so it's so uplifting to me because I think a lot of times, especially in the modern American church, we would assume that the let the way people expound upon the letters and talk about the letters, we would assume that they're the they're the there's these um that these letters are a like 
uh, literally like bullet points of do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. You know, here's how you get X accomplished in the church. Here's how you do Y in the church. Um, but the fact that they are so personal and sometimes so negative and sometimes so positive, it, it, it one, it's it's amazing to me because it, it just makes our God so much more personal that this is how he chose to um to this is this is how he this is what he chose to preserve um preserve for us and and to give us life so that's amazing but it's also perplexing for me because it's also perplexing because there's just so much room for confusion there's so much room for um not understanding the context even even the best of scholars will have like i I think one of my uh one of my favorite uh, like biblical scholars, Tim Mackey, who's like a he, he's not like a world renowned expert in Hebrew, will talk about for him like he would have been seen like his his knowledge would have been seen as like almost childlike, you know, in ancient Israel. His knowledge of Hebrew, like you know, he, even the experts don't have the firsthand knowledge of what it would have been like for the church in Phil, like what it would the firsthand knowledge of it. And so it's just really perplexing for me of of how those two things play a part that we get the message from from God that His church is to be. Um, intimate and personal but at the same time the fact that it's so intimate and so personal in these examples makes it harder for us in some areas to um to expound upon and to learn from and so that's just a hard interplay for me it is and i think this is this should be remembered every time you study a letter god could have chosen to record the 15 books of doctrine Mm -hmm. Here's how you think about your anger, and here's how you think about your parenting, and here's how you think about your church conflict. He didn't. He didn't write books of doctrine. He wrote letters. And we are fixated on the the American church, in my experience, is fixated on getting our doctrine right, or we've already got it right, and we need Mm -hmm. to defend that right doctrine. And doctrine is, I mean, doctrine isn't a bad word. Doctrine is, okay, here's what we're going to teach, Mm -hmm. you know. But they made it this this very academic. Here are the things you must believe, and and you can. My contention is you can't walk with God and God's Spirit and not learn about doctrine. Mm-hmm. But you can study doctrine all day and never connect with God. And and this is the rub. These people were connected with God. They didn't think to themselves, "I'm going to get the doctrine right, so then hopefully I can connect with God." Mm-hmm. They were connected with God. And they didn't even think of it as doctrine. This is how we live our life. And he's writing a letter like I would write, you know, my daughter, Julia, she's going to move to another city here in this next week. I I will write her. Invariably, I'll find out something that's challenging for her in some way. She'll probably just text me or give me a call. And I will answer it. I'd say, hey, here's a way to think about this. That's a letter. It's a message, you know, that I probably wouldn't handwrite because of our mode of technology. But if you took, you know, 60 texts and put them together, that's my book of Stillwater, you know, she's living, or my book of Julia. And this idea of the depersonalization of the letters and making them doctrine and not considering context does so much damage, and it leaves us open to enormous contradiction, mm-hmm. um, it, where you're saying, well, the Bible contradicts itself. No, our interpretations contradict each other, yeah. but not necessarily the Bible, and I'm, I'm suggesting it doesn't contradict sure. itself. Well, I think it's important to recognize here, I mean, and he'll have, later on, we'll get to him, he'll, he'll have certain, like, he, he loves the church in Philippi very clearly, but he'll have some things like, hey, you need to work on this, you need to do this better, you need to do that better, and it's so fascinating to me, and I think it's so important that the first thing that he he wants to harp on is, man, I love about I love you, and I care about you, and I'm excited about you, and isn't it great that we're doing this together, and isn't God great because of how close and how amazing all this is, and I think the, the the natural thing for so many people 
um, is like I think a lot of people you know, the Philippi is, the church in Philippi is certainly doing a lot better than and you know certain other churches that we see in the New Testament but the natural response of so many people is well they're messing up in this area and we have to address that before we can even get to anything else and for Paul specifically in this situation the first thing first is man I have love and excitement and joy for everything God is doing in your life. And even if there are things that I, like we need to talk about that doesn't that doesn't belittle or change the fact that this is amazing and you're incredible and I love you and God is good in all of this. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we go to the next section? Let's do it. Uh, beginning in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Okay, I think this is the, one of the most perplexing things in the whole of the New Testament. So the the, the dynamic at play of um, when when Paul talks about motives of Christ being preached, I don't I don't know what box to put it in. It is it it, it goes completely over my head. Yeah, I, I see that entirely. This has long been a, a big a, a big challenge. Um, sometimes the Bible, how do I say this? Most of the time, I feel like we are small picture. We are the trees of the forest and trees dynamic. You know, we're like, what's the next thing we're supposed to do? And we think like that. We're like, okay, now wait a minute. If I'm allowing, and then we get into the slippery slope dynamic. If you say, hey, you're preaching and you're preaching because you're greedy and you're trying to cause trouble for the main missionary to come here. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. <laughs> well, then what's what else is okay? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because basically you're, to me, he's he's not... He's saying, on one hand, this is not the right way to do it, but then when he cleans it up, what does it matter? I'm like, it matters a lot. <laughs> I mean, it just, I don't know what else matters. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the interesting thing in the um, in the like the Sermon on the Mount is he's like, you're doing good things, mm-hmm. but your heart's not right, and so you're not doing good things. Yeah. And here it's almost like saying the opposite. It's like you're doing good things and your heart's not right, but what does it matter? Mm-hmm. As long as people hear the gospel. And I'm like, man, that is very – I don't think he's saying it's justified to always have the bad motivation. Yeah. But I also think what he's saying is, do you understand that God's gospel – and this – man, this this came up yesterday when we were doing the Amazing Perplex discussion mm-hmm. at church – is that idea of the seed – how do I say this? The gospel is the seed, Mm-hmm. And the gospel has within it, we were, we were talking Matthew 13, where you plant the mustard seed and it grows into the big tree. And it's this idea of, it's not, yes, the watering helps and, and whatever helps, but the life, the DNA is all in the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say that I, as a presenter of the gospel, have no value. 
But it is saying if something good happens, it's it's because of the gospel. It's not because of the presenter of the gospel. Like I don't know how else you could think about that yeah. when you dig when you come from this context. So I'm going to put forward an idea, and I'm not. This is not me saying this is concrete, um, or even this is the take you should have from this this particular section that we've just been talking about. But I want it says it is true that some preach Christ out of envy, but others out of uh, goodwill. Um, yeah, going going forward, so it kind of separates these these the selfish and the um, the selfish and the people who are doing it um, for others, basically, in terms of preaching for Christ. Here, here's the thing that I have been convicted of in my life. There are times when I have been in both these groups mm. where I have preached Christ because I was excited about maybe I'll get praise from this. Maybe I'll look really good. Mm. Maybe people will like give me that pat on the back or I'll get that recognition. And there are other times where I have preached preach Christ just because of my love for him and the love for the person in front of me. And so I wonder... I know for myself, because I'm such a um, such a self-critical person, I, there have been times in my life because I know I've had uh, unrighteous or uh, selfish motives in my in my walk or in my in my sharing of, of the word. Um, not that this is what it, what Paul is specifically saying here, but is it also a, a way that we can process through that um, that tension of of of, because I, I would I would submit there's probably nobody that has nobody who's followed Jesus for any amount of time would say that they've been um, in one group exclusively. That is really that's really good, and that that betrays how I always I'm like there's a bad guy and a good guy, and then you just said and you are both guys and I'm like dead coming um, <laughs> Sith and the Jedi but yeah, just replace that's them. right but uh, I, yeah I I think that's totally a great application of this concept yeah. Of, of that idea. It's almost like the parable of the soils, you know, that, that we've talked about. It's that it's that tension between I am sometimes the rocky soil, I am sometimes the path, I'm sometimes the fertile soil, mm-hmm. and it has to do with my, it's this inner working of, inner working is not the right way, it's this, to talk about, it's what's going on inside of me, what's going on outside of me, the context, you know, just mm-hmm. a lot of these variables that we call our everyday life that we look back and we're like, man, I think I was rocky soil today. Mm. Or in this context, I think I was sharing the gospel out of selfish motives. How many times have we as a, as a collective, as certainly my heritage, um, or our heritage, how many times have we sitting on a study with somebody and if, let's just play it out this way, we study, we do the best we can, and they say, I don't know. And then they go find another person and say, hey, I believe Jesus Christ, Son of God, would you baptize me? Mm-hmm. And we would be angry. <laughs> and right there, if you would be angry, mm-hmm. if I would be angry, that shows where my motivation is. That's helpful. You know, and I hate that because I would be angry. Some guy came to me one time and he said, hey, would you baptize me? And I'm like, sure. And I baptized him. And a, a guy that had been there in that church for, I don't know how many years, had been studying with them, mm-hmm. he said, I heard you baptize such and such. And I said, yeah. And he goes, that's interesting because I've been studying with that guy for like three years. Oh, man. And I had talked with him like twice. Yeah. You know, and I, I can't even figure out what that guy's motivation was. He didn't seem to have a problem with the his teacher, you know. Mm-hmm. And yet I, I felt that man's pain immediately. You know, I mean, I do think there's give honor to honors due. So yeah. you can argue the other side. But I think in general, if I'm really wanting the gospel to win, I don't care. Mm-hmm. If if I were to preach the lesson and somebody to get up and say, you know, it just when Connor preached that lesson, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And I know I preach the lesson, but nobody else does. <laughs> 
I want I it would bug me, and then I'd want to deal with the fact why is it bug me, mm. and keep doing that that work on my own soul of turning that over. That's really to good. God, but that's my ideal self. No, that's re- that's really helpful, and I think if you've if you spent any time teaching or leading uh, any sort, of, you know, whether it's a like a children's Bible Bible class or anything, um, you will have the experience where you gave a lesson, you taught something, and your heart wasn't in it. You felt terrible about it, like the night before you got in a big fight with your spouse, and and somebody was like, "Man, that just really blessed me," and you just look at them and be like, "You fool!" Like that was the worst thing I've ever taught. That was I was like, and I mean, legitimately, that's happened to me many times. There was one time where like I I preached a sermon and I had it I had it memorized. It was good. It was it was content, but I was literally just like. I literally was preaching it from like I had just been completely wrung out and I there was n- there was nothing left of me and I was angry and I was bitter on the inside even though I tried to give that away before I started speaking and people came up to me after and be like oh that was that was like the best sermon I've ever hit give Connor I'm like if you only knew if you mm. only knew what was going on with me when yeah. I when I talked about it but there is the beauty that I can look pat look um, from the future and say man God was still doing something in that and so before we move on real quick I think it's I think it's really cool um, one of the things that like we get examples of, of how um, followers of Jesus uh, interact in prison in the prison situation, but it's such it's so funny to me that this is just like an aside for Paul mm-hmm. that he's just like so yeah lots of people are hearing the gospel people's lot like it's it's going crazy here anyways we're moving on to the next thing like I would want like hey give me more details what's happening here what does this exactly look like um, and it, it's so funny that it, this is a constant thing throughout the book of Philippians that. Paul's situation is just this afterthought. Paul's, you know, immediate situation. Um, like I, I, like for me, if I come in, like this is, <laughs> this is really funny. At work this morning, I just smashed my finger, um, and it hurt. It hurt really bad. Real persecution here. And um, I went home, and I was just waiting to tell my wife like that I had smashed my finger really bad because I was, I was, it was on my mind, and because it really hurt, and I wanted to talk about it. And so the fact that Paul, that he is so um, honed in on 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 first things first, that it's just this aside is is uh, it's very aspirational. I remember it's funny because I have I have not been in prison, I've not had that experience, but I was in the army in basic training specifically, and uh, and I felt at times in a prison kind of feel. But if, if I wrote some letters, because it's all we could do, you couldn't make phone calls and that kind of thing. And so I guarantee you the vast majority of those letters, matter of fact, I can't imagine any aspect of those letters not being about my experience in the Army. Mm. Like everything would have been about the, my experience in the Army, you know? That's good. And so it is staggeringly amazing. I'm really glad you brought this up, that Paul writes this letter. It's clear he wants them to know, and I think they know, but he's mm-hmm. – if they already know, why does he have to tell them yeah. he's in chains? Uh, but he's contextually saying, look, even these chains won't hold me back because the thought would be, oh, the chains obviously hold you back. Yeah. And so had he not been concerned, they would think the chains would hold him back. We wouldn't even know he's in prison, mm. you know, hardly. And yet he he does exactly what you're saying. So I think I do. I think that is that is truly amazing. Jumping on, starting in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this." Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Uh, this is something that's always fascinated me about Paul. 
um, it, it's the we, it's the tension between Paul being able to call him later in life, call himself you know the chief of sinners, and here being like, hey, like emulate me, follow me, be like like take like take so much faith and take so much um, uh, like take uh, just be so thankful and joyous that like you get the example of following me, and it, it, it's this good thing. Um, man, it that that headspace has always been fascinating to me. I am I am amazed by this whole I mean it, it's so pervasive. It it only shows up like this one time in scripture where somebody's like it's better for me to die, but I'm going to I'm going to leave. Like like I think most people accept that as yeah, this is this is kind of how you're supposed to be thinking. It's better mm-hmm. to to go and be with God than to stay here. And he, it's only said this one time. Mm-hmm. And it's so pervasive and it's so weird. It is just so weird mm-hmm. that he says that I mean again, you're Somebody that matters to you gets up and says, "On a, on a, it could be a Sunday morning, it could be a mentor, it could be your parent, whoever." But they say, "Hey, man, it'd be so much better to be in heaven, so much better to be in the presence of God right now. Mm-hmm. I would love to be dead, love it." And it's not somebody who's sick. It's not somebody. It's like you right, know, yeah. They're, they're they're in the situation, you know, because they're being persecuted, not or they're they're in there. Um, they're not in there because like they're in pain or they're you know sorry so right no 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 that, that's good yeah so he is in an unfavorable situation but he's already established he believes that's for the good yeah you know and this idea it, it in other words if it wasn't in the Bible you think don't say that that's just really <laughs> odd so it does it it amazes me of his view is so clarified mm. that that's maybe a consistent word is it's so clarified because of his perspective. I get so consumed in the day-to-day, what's next, and how do I keep this moving, and this kind of thing. And he's like, you know what's next? I would love to die. <laughs> and be, So this is, I think, what, what's incredible is is for you. I, I never really picked up on that. This is like the first time that this is said, only time this is said in the New Testament. Um, but like, it's absolutely remarkable that the one time it's said, it's not by somebody who knew Jesus firsthand. Hmm. Like, I think it's such a gift from God that the first, that the only time we hear of this is not some, it's not Peter, it's not John, it, it's not somebody who's like, you know, best friends or best buddies with Jesus or walking and talking with him. It's somebody who had a vision of him and who has the Holy Spirit, and that's his heart. Because I think for a lot of us, it'd be able to look and be like, well, yeah, like, that was your buddy. You, you know, you ate with him, you walked with him. But for, for Paul, that's not the case, and I think that that is such a gift for us. I, I, I totally agree. And and the challenge is this idea of the perplexing piece to this is that dynamic of how does this affect, affect your listeners? How does it affect your friends? Hmm. You know, I just think that would hurt a lot of people's feelings in your life. Like you call your wife and let's say your, your daughter was old enough to be able to take in, you know, and you're like, guys, I just need to know. I'm thinking today, man, I'd so much prefer <laughs> to be in heaven. And I know on one hand, Christians should be people that are like, oh, yeah, don't threaten me with heaven. I would love to be in heaven. But if you say, hey, would you like to die right now? I have yet to talk to a person that's like, yeah. Let's They're always like, well, after I dot, dot, dot. Yeah, or after. When there's always, and I think it's fascinating because, like, he talks about him being alive is, is for, you know, for the benefit of, of, of others. And I think that that helps that helps me keep a, a good through line through all of this of why like it is better to be with Christ, but why is it important that I'm here? It's it's for others. It's for mm. selflessly loving others. It's selflessly giving up your life over and over and over again. And I think that the reality of that, the reality of why that's better, like why why even for somebody who is who loves Jesus and is selflessly giving up their life every day, why is it still? Why do they still feel that like that like well let's get it, let's ha- let's make it happen today. Let's go to heaven. It's because when we act selflessly, when we love others um, with our whole heart, we're bringing 
bringing heaven down in that moment. And that's the way we were created to be. That's the way things are supposed to be. And so I think it's this really cool interplay. And I don't know if I, I never connected with this passage specifically, but that desire to go to heaven, to depart and be with Christ, um, part of that desire is fulfilled when we selflessly love because Christ is in that situation. Christ wow. is is in, yeah. in the midst in there. And so that I think that's a, a way I never thought about it before. Excellent. So jumping on and finishing, um, finishing this chapter, starting in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God, Oh my gosh, I cannot read today. <laughs> but that, that <laughs> it's a weird. It's a weird uh, it is some. It is some weird. So that that this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you are going to since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I am. I, I don't know. There are times I say amazed, and I'm equally perplexed. Um, but it, it is amazing that statement that said this will be a sign to them that they will be destroyed. I'm reminded they're not taking it in as that sign. You're interpreting the sign. Mm. In, in other words, when they see that, hey, this guy's standing firm in in, a, in one spirit and he's tri- striving as one for the faith, so they're unified. That uh, you know they're not frightened in any way. And now my enemy is going to be. Oh man, I'm going to be destroyed, and this guy's going to be saved. I, I think I think that's my vantage point, or God's vantage point, maybe. That as I am unified with you, I don't see people cowering. Mm. You know, oh man, this is going to be my destruction, and so I need to back away. So it's just amazing to have this um, reassurance, this comfort, this confidence mm. that we're united. Matter of fact, I've never put that together. Honestly, it's like when I'm united with you. That's a sign that my enemy needs to fear. The the devil needs to fear. And I think that needs to be clear. I, I think he is talking about people that are persecuting. That's that's his that's who is sensing they will be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And that may be my perplexing piece now that I unpack that a little bit. But but in terms of that confidence they have based not on the end result, which mm-hmm. would be my enemies being destroyed. You know what I mean? So so let's take it away from enemies in that sure. way. There's some obstacle that the devil's put in my path. And I'm like, man, I'm really going to cheer for God once I get over this, mm-hmm. once I get beyond this fear or this depression or this whatever. I've got an assignment that's really hard, but I work through it, and then I'm going to give glory to God. And He's and this is often how God does. I want you cheering prior. Mm-hmm. I want you finding your confidence in your unity with me. And now he's expanding it to your unity as a church is the victory that sends a signal to our ultimate enemy at the very least, you know, that we've already won. It's a signal of his destruction. But from my human vantage point, it doesn't seem that way at all. It just seems like, hey, we seem united. <laughs> I think that's really helpful. I think that the the weirdness of the of the dynamic of the enemy here, the fact that so the fact it obviously, you know, the chapters and verses weren't here when Paul originally wrote this, when Paul and Timothy originally wrote this. But I, I think um I think it's so fascinating that for Paul he can say he can say that He can, he can say that my enemies, the people persecuting us, the people, you know, standing against the gospel, that like this is like they like this is 
that this is evidence that they will be destroyed. Like that's a very harsh thing to say. And it's a very hard thing. Um, for, especially for me to hear the fascinating thing for me though, is that there isn't that anger, right? There isn't that like, um, you know, these despicable, like at least yet, there's not this, these despicable people, our enemies, they're getting in the way of the gospel. They're doing, in fact, that this is so, this is such, so different from how we view things in modern times. When we see people that we would consider enemies of the gospel or persecutors of the gospel, um, oftentimes it's not the case, but when, you know, in the cases that they are, there's this great anger towards them and there's this great um for the, the fo- uh, focusing on on the injustice when it's and i'm talking specifically directed at us the the injustice at the persecutors um becomes the focal point mm. and it's so fascinating to me that for paul the enemy like the, the people persecuting they're like the the important thing that he lists first is that they're hearing the gospel that they're they're hearing the gospel and then the second thing like is like it there it's just fascinating to me that he's not more concerned with um that there's not more heads sp- like that the enemies aren't taking up more headspace that's that's the fascinating and amazing thing for me yeah and and it's interesting because this idea that he said earlier about you know everybody knows he's there you know why he's there for chain in why he is in chains and i think for you, if, if, if the situation is set up that you are my enemy, for you to know that I am experiencing number, – number one, for me to experience some kind of punishment in front of you is humiliating. Yeah. So now I'm in chains in front of you. Like you've won. You're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. But you've won. And now I've got to do that. For you to know that I'm in chains because of Jesus, think about how much you cannot focus on this guy's my enemy. As long as I think you're my enemy, um, you're not going to get the message that Jesus rules. I've got to give up on that dynamic that you're my enemy, you know, because um, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, you are to love your enemies. In order to do that, though, you have to change the way you think of them. Hmm. Because the way I, I'm not even talking about necessarily the connotation, of the word or the denotation of the word, rather, but the connotation where if you're my enemy, and I do something good for you, then you're still my. In- I'm not loving you. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. if I call you my enemy, you're you're opposed. I'm I'm leaning. I'm accepting. You're we're opposed to each other. Mm-hmm. But when I choose to love you, I am saying I'm 100 percent for you. And for you then to be convinced, man, he's here because of Jesus Christ, the one that gave his life for the whole world. Yeah. You know, then there's a lot of work that's gone on there mm-hmm. that that Paul has worked beyond. You know. And so that he is calling them to do the same, I think it's, man, that's challenging because we always expect the leader is superior to the followers. Whether it's true or not, that's our expectation, you know. So it's challenging for him to call them to that same thing and how hard that would be. And I can honestly, like, I feel really immature actually even viewing this this account because I'm like, man, if the enemy had me in prison, number one, all my thought would be is how do I get out of prison? But if all I'm thinking about is how do I get out of prison, I'm probably not affecting you for the gospel. And so for that not to be a consuming thought to him, it's it's amazing that he did it and it's perplexing. How could I ever get there? Thank you for listening to the Amazing Perplex podcast. Join us next week as we talk about Philippians chapter two, grace, peace, and love. <laughs>